0: All right, welcome everybody to the Mets News Podcast. Uh, it is six, a couple days before the trade deadline. I think it's the 30th this year. Usually it's the 31st. Maybe it's because it's on a Friday. Um, um, so I decided to have on Locked On Mets Podcast. Uh, Ryan, how are you? Doing good today. That's good. Uh, so I don't want to talk about game one. Uh, you can see my uh, Twitter feed at Mets News 6 for my instant reaction to that. But let's talk about game two before we get into the trade rumors, because there's a ton of trade rumors. So uh, what was your thoughts about uh, game two?
1: I think it was good to see Jeff McNeil get that clutch hit. Didn't seem like the Mets were going to have any offense to speak of yesterday. So that was obviously big. And then just surprised that they got through that, that good up a run. All those relievers coming in. Anthony Banda didn't expect two scores out of him. Seth Lugo really walked a the tightrope there. Thought he was going to give up a three-run homer to Freddie Freeman, but... The Mets had some luck on their side, but uh, yeah, it was was definitely not a fun game to watch. Just happy they escaped with the win.
0: I don't know, but to me, that game felt like this team, I'd like to classify it, this group, the McNeil, the Alonzos, this group has a tendency of not showing up some games offensively. It's been like that since 2019. I don't know if you agree about that. So I just thought we were going to get shut out both games yesterday. I'm happy we won.
1: Yeah, I think in general, as someone who's watched the Mets for so many years, in that situation specifically, you're just going to be pessimistic, and it felt a lot like, okay, here we go. The Braves are going to win the first two. Maybe they'll win four or five. They'll be right back in the mix before the deadline. So it kind of felt like the season was slipping away from you, even though it was just a doubleheader. Um, But that's just kind of the way Mets fans are conditioned after all these years. And you know what? Maybe this is uh, something that tells you it's a little bit different now. They had some good fortune and uh, they were able to get one of those games that they probably shouldn't have won anyway.
0: Yeah, and to me, it would you had to split the doubleheader. I just I couldn't take the Braves sweeping us, especially in the way we did. If we would have gotten shut out both games, we would have been in trouble. We we would have been yeah, in well, trouble because another ballping game tonight.
1: Exactly, exactly. So you you would have had to try to win three more games. Um, you know, to to salvage a series victory there. And, yeah, bullpen game, I mean, Taiwan Walker has not looked great. You got him starting the final game of this series. It would have seemed a little far-fetched that they would have won all three of those games. So now you just got to win two of them.
0: Yeah, and to me, winning three or two would be nice, but I'm okay with uh, winning only two in this series. As long as we keep Atlanta from not winning four, I'm okay with it. Four yeah. is where I get nervous.
1: Yeah, because if they win four, then they might actually buy. I think that, if anything, the Braves are going to stand pat at the deadline, but well, you don't want to give mm-hmm. them hope right before it where they said, you know what, maybe let's trade some prospects and try to get a Max Scherzer or Chris Bryant or even maybe even get in the way of the
0: Mets were making a trade that they want to make. Yeah, and I want to talk about the Phillies real quick. Where do you see them at the deadline? Because I see them standing pat. I know they won last night, but I I just don't see them overcoming their disgusting pen.
1: Yeah, it's I, I can't see a team like that who's who's watched, you know, basically their their group play 500 baseball all season and suddenly think that they not only have a chance to win the division. I think that's still, I guess, a possibility, but I just don't see the Phillies actually being able to go into a playoff series against a team like the Brewers and win it, even if they make a big addition at the deadline. And you're also talking about a front office and an ownership group that wasn't very concerned with being aggressive in the off season. So they did eventually sign JT Real Muto, but only after he kind of, But yeah, I, I think they're in a in a place where if they win the division, they'd be happy, but I don't think that they actually view themselves as real like world series contenders where they'd have to make a big move.
0: Yeah. I, I just, to me, the Phillies off season was not, they didn't handle the right situation. They need to focus on the pen and they didn't. So I think that just leaves the Mets being the only buyer in the NL East. We know the nationals are sellers, but, Well, the Marlins, they're not going to buy either. So I covered all bases. But where do you see the Mets adding at the deadline? Because to me, it's starting pitching.
1: Yeah, it's really interesting because now there's been a lot of reports this morning about Tyler Anderson again, um, which Mm -hmm. to me is basically just a little bit of a better version than Rich Hill. I wanted Tyler Anderson really bad, but now that you have Rich Hill, I don't know how much that moves the needle other than getting you that pitching depth and maybe that's worth it to the Mets. Maybe they aren't comfortable with the idea that Jacob DeGround is going to take the ball every fifth day throughout the remainder of the season, and if you can just get to the playoffs and you can get him healthy by then, maybe it's worth it to get another insurance policy. When I look at this team right now, I actually think that they really should be a little bit aggressive trying to get one of those bats that will really change things. I, I think that... Adding a frontline starter would be great. I just don't know if the price is going to come down enough for the Mets to get a Jose Barrios or get you know a, a Max Scherzer, which I still think is unlikely anyway. Um, and if they do trade the prospects to get one of those guys, one of the things I've been talking about a lot on my show is I can see the Mets looking to get everything in one trade if they had to give mm-hmm. up one of their top prospects. So If they had to give up Ronnie Mauricio to get Jose Barrios, maybe you're going to get Taylor Rogers who's obviously an all-star reliever this year, striking out over 13 batters per nine. He'd be a big addition, another lefty reliever. And if it is maybe Josh Donaldson to bring down the cost for the prospects, you give up something like that, where you check all the boxes in one deal makes a lot of sense. It's just a matter of if The Mets can pull it off.
0: Yeah. I I don't want one Josh Donaldson. He's just, I don't either. But, to me. Yeah. I, I could see the Mets doing it, but I, I don't want Donaldson to me. And I know it's a pipe dream. And I've said this on my podcast a ton. Get me Scherzer. I yeah. really want Scherzer. I don't trust Cindergard coming back. Carrasco, I don't know what he's going to be. And even DeGrom at this point, he complains about a new injury every other start, it feels like. I don't know if you agree with me there.
1: I don't think that it's – I wouldn't necessarily describe it as complaining. I, I mean, I, I, would, I would agree that I'm concerned Yeah, I'm just saying that, you know, I think that DeGrom is being very cautious and he's he's being vigilant and making sure the Mets know if he's feeling something. And when you have a pitcher as valuable as Jacob DeGrom, you're going to take any little injury seriously. So I, I I agree with with your premise there that Max Scherzer might move the needle more than any player, but I don't know what it's going to cost to get him. The reason why I bring up Josh Donaldson and why it could make sense, and I'll see if I can maybe swing you a little bit because I'm not the biggest fan of that contract, but I could be swayed to understand why it might make sense in a trade that gets you Barrios and Rodgers. Josh Donaldson, you'd be leveraging Steve Cohen's money to lower the prospect return you had to give up. And that's basically what you're talking about. And I do think that Josh Donaldson is a better player than J.D. Davis. I think that he's still... Very capable as a hitter, I think he'd come in as a veteran leader. He played with Marcus Stroman in the past, and Kevin Pilar and Aaron Loop, so he'd fit right into that clubhouse. He's one of those guys that is a win now player for this year, and then you'd be forced to to deal with having him the next couple of seasons. And you know maybe you can get rid of his contract by eating, by eating half of it at some point. But for mm-hmm. now, it, it would make a lot of sense if you can get it all done. And let's say you only had to give up Ronnie Mauricio and J.D. Davis in the deal and maybe like, you know, a, a fringe prospect on top of that, it's a trade that would make a lot of sense. But also from what we've been hearing recently, the Mets might be out of the market for Barrios and potentially Scherzer because it's going to cost too much. So maybe they just trade for Tyler Anderson now and then try to get, if it's Brian and Kimbrell at the deadline, you're you're still pretty happy with the overall result.
0: Yeah, I I think the best trading partner for the Mets is the Cubs. Going back to Donaldson real quick, it's just that contract, and uh, yeah. it, it's maybe the DH is coming in the National League next year, as much as I don't like it, but it, it would really benefit the Mets. I'm not opposed to trading J.D. Davis. I really yeah. don't like his defense at third base. I love his bat. I tweeted that yesterday. Love his bat. Just his defense is really, really shaky at some points, and it's really the plays that are the simplest plays where I think he's overthinking it. Yeah. But I yeah. Think-
1: yeah. hundred percent. I've been campaigning for a Davis chair for the past couple of years. The, the defense just won't pass as your every day. Third baseman. So.
0: Yeah. And I think that Dom Smith is going to be our first baseman next year when the DH comes in. I, I think Pete Alonso is the perfect DH. If you have Dom Smith on the team, if you trade Dom Smith, which the Mets could do to get an outfielder, they, they could do it. Um, then you can keep JD at uh, the, the DH spot next year. But that's a little far away. Where do you think the Mets end up? Do you think it's what you just said, the Donaldson and the other trade? Do you think they make a deal with the Twins? Or can we somehow get Matt Scherzer over to Queens?
1: I The, the Scherzer thing to me, as much as it would help this team, I just – I feel like the Nationals will say, all right, we'll give you Matt Scherzer but only if you give up Francisco Alvarez or Brett Beatty or one of those prospects, the Mets really don't want to deal. I mean, I guess Ryan Mauricio kind of fits in that class as well, but I, I'm just looking at that trade as so unlikely because you just never see a team trade, not only a player as good as Max Scherzer in the division, because really, why do the Nationals care? They're not going to win a World Series this year, so they should be willing to move them. But it, it's, it's more the fact that this is, your Hall of Famer, probably that could be the first guy that goes into the Hall of Fame as a national. So, do you want to see him suddenly have this end of his career with the Mets where he wins a World Series or resigns with the team and then you have to face him for the next three years? Also, that's that's what I don't think will happen mm-hmm. um, when it when it comes to what the Mets are going to do. It's so tough to know for sure. Um, to me, it, it does seem like they're going to get a bat. And I, I feel pretty confident they'll get a high leverage reliever. And I feel pretty confident that they'll acquire somebody who can start. And I think it just depends on the cost, whether it's another rich Hill type with Tyler Anderson, maybe it's John gray who might offer a little bit more upside and also a guy that I think has some stuff that would play out of the bullpen better than a Tyler Anderson. So that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, I, I think the Mets are going to be really aggressive, but Zach Scott's not going to make a bad trade. He's not going to mortgage your future for this season. Um, so I, I I, also find it hard to believe that Francisco Alvarez will move, that Brett Beatty will move, that Matt Allen or JT Jane will move. The one prospect that to me makes sense to move would be Ronnie Mauricio as far as the top guys, only because mm-hmm. you have Lindor. And, uh, you know, there's no clear path for him to impact the Mets, especially because, if he moves to third base, you have Brett Beatty and Mark Vantos as well. So that, that's the one guy that could be moved in a big deal, but I think they'll try to avoid even moving him.
0: That was the guy going back a little bit for the Lindor trade. I was surprised that wasn't in the deal. I was just shocked. Yeah, It was a great
1: trade to keep him, <laughs> to, honestly. Oh,
0: it, it was. And even though Lindor's bat hasn't heated up, I think it's going to work out in the Mets' favor that deal. I know there are some Mets fans, and I bet you get this too, Let's say they didn't like to trade now because Lindor is struggling, but I think it'll work out in the yeah, end Yeah, him.
1: I think with Lindor, if you're just focused on his batting average, you're missing the point of what he's brought to this team because as a leader and as the best, maybe the best defensive shortstop in baseball, or at least one of the top three, he has been huge for the Mets. And he also is pretty decent the last two months offensively as well. And if you talk about the trade, what they gave up, Let's not forget the guy Carlos Carrasco. Carlos Carrasco who's under control past this season as well. And Ahmed Rosario, Andres Jimenez, both having really bad years, at least the last I checked. I think Wolf will probably be very good for the Indians because he went to a pitching factory in Cleveland. So I imagine that that might be the player that hurts in retrospect. But for now, when you look at the, the overall deal, you can't say that's anything but a huge win for the
0: Mets. Yeah, and I want to get your thoughts on Conforto. Um, yeah, a lot of people disagree at me saying we should resign him. Um, I'm, I really want to wash my hands with him at the end of the year. I think he's a great defensive right fielder, but I just he reminds me of Lucas Duda. They may not be the same player. What I mean by that is hot streaking. He goes really hot for a couple games and then he just goes ice cold. So, what's your thoughts on Conforto?
1: I'll tell you, he's uh, he's playing himself out of a lot of money this year. That, that's for he sure. Is. He had such a even going back to 2020 shortened season, his numbers were ridiculous. But 2019, he was actually a steady contributor. He wasn't as streaky, set career highs across the board. And this year it's falling apart for him. I think the one thing I'll say is that I have kind of moved into the camp that Brandon Nemo is more of a priority to me long term to get him locked up than Michael Conforto. I think in this offseason, you're still probably going to extend him a qualifying offer. Um, because Scott Boris is his agent, there's still a great chance he declines that and you get the draft compensation. And if he accepts it, I think one year and whatever the number set at this year, probably a little over $17 I think that Conforto could completely outplay that contract and he'd be worth Mm -hmm. it to bring back. So at this point, I would say a qualifying offer is likely the only way Conforto returns other than him taking a team's friendly discount and if he was gonna do that with Scott Boris being his agent, I just see him maybe signing a a, a three year deal with an opt out after one that would be similar to a contract like that anyway. And it would probably be with another team where he can really add to his numbers and have you know, maybe he goes to a really hitters friendly park and tries to really kind of boost his value before testing the market again. So it, it is looking less likely that Confort is a long term met, but we'll see.
0: Yeah, and I want to get your thoughts. I want to circle back to the Cubs deal real quick because, in my opinion, if we get Bryant, we're also getting Kembrel. So what would that lead to Edwin Diaz? Would they have a split role, or would he be the closer? Because if you get Kembrel, in my opinion, he's the closer. And frankly, he's the better player if you look at the numbers.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, when you saw Edwin Diaz pitch last night, if you got that guy every time out, there's no question who the closer would be. Uh, yep. You know, when he's when he's throwing one on one and that slider is as nasty as it can be. Yeah, he's awesome. But there's been too many times where he hasn't come through. Uh, There is also this idea that Edwin Diaz can't can't perform if he's not in the closer role. To me, I, I feel like these guys will adjust. Um, You know, honestly, I, I'm I'm one that doesn't care too much about the closer role. I, I feel like in general, I just want to see the Mets use the best relievers in the biggest spots, and the biggest spots mean when you're facing the top of the lineup. But Craig Kimbrell has been a closer his entire career. So if you get a guy with that stature, Edwin Diaz almost would be a little more open to accepting that demotion, if you want to call it that, because Craig Kimbrell is, I mean, arguably probably one of the best closers of all time if you look at the numbers. So, yeah, that would be definitely a move that you'd like to see the Mets make. Now that Andrew Chafin has already been traded from the Cubs, it's pretty much Kimberl or bus when it comes to the relievers, the Cubs could offer them that they'd probably be happy to get rid of that salary as well this year and save a little money. So I could definitely see the Kimbrell Brian trade happening. The
0: question then becomes what are the that's going to give up for rentals. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. I mean, Brian, to me, the more and more we talk about it and that's on Twitter, the podcast beat reporters, I just, don't really want to give up a lot to get him because he's, he's a rental in my opinion, unless and he's been you been bad
1: since June also.
0: Yes. I was also about to say that. he's been yeah. really bad since June. I understand what I'm just going to use him as an example, because I just read his thing on Twitter. Andy Martino says, well, Chris Bryan, he can play left field, first base, all these different positions. Well, he might not be a good left fielder. I mean, looking at the numbers. So if you give up, jd davis in that deal to me then you're resigning him no doubt then make the deal but if he's just a rental don't give up a lot to get him the mets have hey we're taking on his salary for you so you can be under the luxury tax which i think the cubs are pretty close right now as it is
1: yeah yeah i think that if you sign chris bryant there's a chance you could resign him, or if you trade for chris bryant there's a chance you could resign him uh, he would move above my priority list above Michael Conforto if they were to make mm-hmm. that deal. But, yeah, I think what Bryant brings to the mess for one, I, I think he'd probably be pretty rejuvenated by that trade. Um, and I do think that he he's a lot better than a J.D. Davis or even a Dominic Smith. And If, if you think that, look, Dominic Smith has done a great job making himself a passable outfielder.
0: Chris he's not an outfielder.
1: Yeah, but exactly. Chris Bryant is far more athletic. And so if you put Chris Bryant in the Mets outfield where they have these advanced analytics now where they're shifting and putting these guys in great position to have career-best defensive run save and outs above average seasons, I think that Chris Bryant would probably put up some pretty good defensive metrics in the Mets outfield. He's athletic enough to do it. So I, I, I do think that his versatility would play very well in this team. And I, I just think comparing him to J.D. Davis, he's just a better player. It, it, he just is. So it, it would be a big upgrade, in my opinion. If you, if you could get a deal done where Davis goes back the other way, um, yeah, I, I think that would be a, wor- wor- a trade you'd make. The other thing to think about when it comes to trading these guys, the Mets said they don't want to strip from their clubhouse. Um, that's why I think Davis might be the only player on, on the roster you could see moved. I don't see like Dominic Smith being traded unless that was in the offseason.
0: I don't think the Mets like him at all, Dom, not Dom Smith, J.D. Davis. I don't think the Mets like him at third. I think he was left over from the Brody Van Wagenen regime. So I, I don't think the Mets will keep him at all after this year. I think the Mets are looking for a way to get him out of the, the organization. I think the problem with J.D. Davis is
1: that I think other teams see his, his lack of value with the defense too. If you can't play a position mm-hmm. – uh, you know until the DH becomes something that that is wide, you know is on is universal. But the other thing about JD Davis too for some of these teams is it's you know, do you, how much do you do you play into what he's done so far because 2020 wasn't the best season for him. He was bad in Houston before the Mets got him. It's basically a really good second half in 2019. and this year the sample size is really small also. So I feel like if a team's trying to trade for JD Davis, they're just not going to put too much value in acquiring him. So I feel like he's almost the throw in in one of these trades. He's mm-hmm. a piece that for the Cubs, they can at least sell to their fan base. Like, Hey, look at this guy. He's got some power. He'll have some home runs. He'll, he'll make them happy. They'll sing. Go Cubs go a couple times because of him." But uh, I don't think that he's someone that really changes things for the, for the Cubs either.
0: Yeah. A couple more questions here, on with the locked on Mets podcast. Um, so, How much pressure is on acting general manager Zach Scott at this deadline? Because he has not been named general manager. Sandy Alderson's son got a promotion and someone else. I'm blanking on his name. I apologize. How much pressure do you think is on him at the deadline? You know, I think Zach Scott uh, has pretty good job security
1: considering where the Mets are. If you think about all of the random pieces that have been brought to the Mets this year, that that's kind of in Zach Scott's specialty. You get a Travis Blankenhorn and somehow this guy hits some big home runs, Brandon Drury, all these different guys that have come in and, and contributed. I, I think the fact that the Mets with all their injuries are sitting in first place right now, Zach Scott, I believe the interim title will be removed very soon. He's going to be the Mets GM. With that said <laughs> I think that there's a lot of pressure internally to try to win this year. Cause I think Steve Cohen wants to I think Sandy Alderson probably knows that he's not going to be working in a front office forever. He's probably just trying to get that one elusive world series. So I think there's pressure in, in that regard, but I think Zach Scott is someone that they really like and someone that's going to be with the Mets moving forward. He has a lot of great experience with his time with the Red Sox. I don't think he's going to be phased by his own job security, but I think he might you know, feel that pressure if they're saying, let's make a big move. That might be more the pressure he's feeling.
0: Yeah, and I guess leading into my next question, Luis Rojas, I think he's done a good job. I think he's made some mistakes. But how is his job doing or security doing? I think that it's very similar. It's very similar to Zach Scott
1: where he has done enough so far this season where I think that he's going he's gonna to return as the Mets manager. The players clearly love playing for him. And that's kind of what you have to do to be a manager nowadays. It's not about the X's and O's that much because that front office is printing you a game plan before every game that you're following. It's about implementing what they want you to do and getting the players to buy into what they want you to do. And when it comes to that, he's done a great job. So I think Rojas will be back as well.
0: I I actually couldn't agree with you more. And I think Louie's done a good job. I really do with all the injuries I think any other manager would have folded. I really yeah. do. And yeah. one, more, one more thing. Uh, you were at, at the game in Pittsburgh, and so was I. So what were your thoughts on that game and the stadium?
1: Well, I will say, uh, like Pittsburgh a lot, uh, beautiful stadium, uh, especially that backdrop. I mean, that must be one of the best backdrops in sports, to have that that Pittsburgh skyline behind you. Um, that game was a lot of fun for me early on. Um, and I got out of there (laughs) right in time. (laughs) I I left, uh, I, I, I looked at at my dad, my brother-in-law said, guys, I've seen this story play out. You know, call me a fake fan if you want to, I don't care. I'm like, Edwin Diaz is either going to get a save where it's going to hurt to watch. And you're just going to be relieved that you leave as a winner, or he's going to have a tragic meltdown. And you're gonna be miserable bumping shoulders with pirates fans as you try to exit that stadium and then deal <sighs> with the traffic out of the garages. So Nemo hit the home run as we were walking out. They looked at me, are we still doing this? I'm like, yeah, we're leaving. And uh, we got in the car and we were we were on the highway back at our hotel as Edwin Diaz gave up the grand slam. It was one of the best choices I ever made. I was yeah. asleep. I was asleep within 15 minutes of the home run.
0: So <laughs> we're were you at the game Sunday too? Because I was at both games.
1: Yes, yes. Sunday, I was at the game also. Um, that game was funny because it was early on. I was almost like we, we were actually going to leave again, but you're almost like me and my dad were actually the first game we sat out in the outfield. Um, so I saw the, the backdrop. It didn't get to really take it in. Uh, on, on Sunday, I was, I was behind home plate out on the club session looking out. So we were literally looking at the skyline for most of the first four or five innings. Because what was happening below the skyline, you didn't want to watch it the way the Mets were playing. But you know what? That was that was a thrilling game. The fact that they came back, um, it didn't feel real that they would actually complete the comeback until the ball that Conforto hit went over the wall, though. I never actually – I was like, there's, there's, they're going to get just there where it's going to be close, and they're not going to be able to pull it off. So the fact that they hit that home run, took the lead, you know, that was that was a really exciting game to watch. One of the better games I've probably ever seen in person. Like, I won't
0: forget that game. How could you forget that game? Yeah, an ejection and everything. So, Saturday night, I looked at my dad and I said, if Seth Lugo gives up a home run, you're a three run shot, they're not, they're not going to win. And when he gave up that three run shot, he's like, Do you want to go? And I said, No, we'll, we'll stay. <laughs> and then when I saw that grand slam, and I was literally, I was, was perfectly placed i saw michael conforto's reaction because i was on uh, the field level because the tickets are so cheap at pnc yeah. park so i saw his face and i was just like oh no that's not good and then when i saw kevin Plough flip over the wall i was like oh well i knew that was gonna happen so i shouldn't be surprised and sunday's game my dad's like do you just want to go back to the hotel and i was like no we should say and when travis blankenhorn hit that home run i was like oh, i think we're gonna pull this off and then when uh Don Smith got the base hit in the ninth. I was like, they're going to win. They're going to find a way. Yeah, which yeah, 100%. it was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, the, the Blankenhorn home run definitely com- it, it changed the complexion of the game. The fact that it was six to four at that point, if I'm not mistaken, It was like, all right, okay, this is this is a ball game now. Uh, yeah, it was, it was it was a it was a lot of fun those those couple of games. And then I was actually at the game in Cincinnati the following day to talk about three games to be at because that that game in Cincy was ridiculous. I mean, that I one. had no
0: fun at that game. Oh, I, we no didn't.
1: Life. We had no fun. It was miserable. I. It's. It, it might be the worst game I've ever been to because it, it was just an exercise in futility, both of those teams. It was horrible. And the amount of pitchers that were coming out, no lead was safe. It, it wasn't until Pilar hit the three-run homer and the Mets were up by four, I think, at that point. They were like, okay, maybe they can close it out. I don't even remember who the last pitcher was. Was it? Was it Banda? It was May, I think. Oh, that's right. May. But see, May, we didn't think May was available. So, so May came yeah. out and it was like, it's just going to have anything in the tank. And he basically was just able to throw strikes and, and the Mets were able to get out of it. But yeah, that game too. That game was, that was the most ridiculous of the three,
0: honestly, that I was at. That was, that that Cincy game. It's crazy. Yeah. I I, I mean, looking back, you can say, oh, that was fun. But no. in the moment, I'd be like biting my fingernails and just it would be not good, not no. good. So, to close it out, um, rank your three scenarios: they trade with the Twins, they trade with the Cubs, or they find a way to trade for Scherzer
1: with the Nationals. If am you have to r- rank them, am I ranking what's most likely or what I want to see to happen, or going to do both? We could do both if you want. All right. Um. So most likely, I. I- Most likely at this point, I think my, it's, it's so tough for me. I, I'm honestly torn between the Twins and the Cubs deal. I think that right now, the fact that the, the Mets are out on Jose Bar- Barrios, that they're into Tyler Anderson, I think all of it can be a smokescreen where they were not happy with what the Twins originally wanted for Jose Barrios, and that ends up being the deal. My gut would tell me that that is what ends up happening. But I could see the Chris Bryant trade being just as likely. I don't think the Scherzer deal happens. When it comes to what I would want the most, it would probably be Max Scherzer. I just have no faith it would happen. And then from there, I would say that that secondly, I'd probably most want the bryant Kimbrell deal, uh, especially if you could even get Zach Davies in it as well. You know, Zach That's Davies deal if you could if you could essentially instead of trading for Anderson if you can get it all done and get Davies to be the depth guy that quite honestly wouldn't matter once you got healthy but someone that gets you through the next couple of weeks here that would be that would actually that might be the deal that I would do the most right now to be completely honest
0: Now that you added Davies in the deal that that might be my favorite deal
1: yeah it's funny I've, I've been talking about these two deals for the most part for the past couple of weeks on my show especially the Cubs one. I mean, really, if you want to get, get crazy, you get Hendricks, Kimberl and Bryant. Uh, I just don't think the Cubs are going to package all those guys in, in one deal, and I don't even know if they're going to trade Hendricks. But.
0: To me, the Cubs one's the most likely to happen, just because the Mets have been rumored with Bryant for almost a year now. Yeah. I feel like ever since September of 2020, when the Mets have been out of it, I feel like Oh, the Mets could get Bryant. The Cubs want to sell. They want to start their rebuild. So, to me, that's the most likely one to happen out of all three. The one I want, I think. I think you even know this now, is Scherzer. Yeah. I just think he's a bulldog, and I I love his mentality. 100%. But I don't think it's going to happen. So, where could my audience find you? I know you have a great podcast. I listen to it Sunday. I listen to them. Listen to them pretty much. It's you and the "You Gotta Believe" by Barstool is the one I listen to the most. So, where can we find you?
1: Thanks. You can find my podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at Locked On Mets, and you can follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. And shows drop Monday through Friday, so I I get them in the the night before. So if you wake up in the morning and you're
0: driving to work, there's always a new episode for you. That that's commitment because I'm only twice a week. And this week, I'm I'm almost doing it every. I'm doing four days a week this week because it's the deadline. That's real commitment. Doing five days a week.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, it's it's been uh it's been it's it definitely at times can can get a little much when you're on a road trip and you're going to all those games. It was definitely tough, but it, it's the commitment I make to my listeners, and I'm over six hundred episodes now in like two and a half three years. So, they certainly fly by. How many road games do you go to a year? Uh, honestly, you know. At some point, probably a little more than I do now. I still got the the day job tying me down a little bit. Um, But every every summer, me and my dad like to make some type of a trip and, and see a ballpark we haven't seen before. So we try to follow them at somewhere. Actually, last year it was going to be down Cali. It was going to be a big Cali trip. And then mm-hmm. COVID screwed that one up for us. But, yeah, usually once a summer. And then I actually live in South Florida. So anytime the Mets are in Miami, uh, I check out those games as well.
0: I I don't like marlins park
1: yeah i I went
0: there (laughs) i just i don't like it that the traffic was terrible the stadium was terrible and the mets blew a four-run lead so i
1: i told myself i went
0: there never going back
1: see i've been a lot the food sucks um yeah and the only redeeming quality is they used to have the clevelander bar in left field and that was a cool spot um and they got rid of that thank you Derek jeter but uh, the Clevelander bar made Marlins park a great place to be and they
0: ruined it. So they also got, I got to see the statue before we uh, removed it and I liked it. I don't well, know. Actually, from this,
1: in you the know, it's, it's it's almost better now for fans. It's sitting outside the, the, the park really awkwardly. It's just kind of just there, <laughs> but, but you can actually take a picture right next to it. And, and it's a lot bigger when you're that close than, than you remember it being when you were sitting in the seats.
0: Yeah. Um, Again, another team that's kind of like the Mets before Steve Cohen bought it. But all right, thank you so much for coming on, man. Go follow his Twitter, uh, listen to his podcast, subscribe, and thank you to my listeners. I will be back at some point. When the Mets make a big deal, I will be back. The next episode coming, coming out is, of course, Wednesday. Hopefully there's a big trade to talk about, and hopefully the Mets are winning. But we'll see. Subscribe and stay safe, folks. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. All right, man.